Good morning. Today, I'd say this is uh, partly inspired um, by the COVID phenomenon, specifically people that wear masks with glasses and how annoying that is and how they continually fog up. So my message today is actually entitled Clear Vision. And of course, I'm speaking more so metaphorically. I'm not going to spend the next 35 minutes giving you a detailed rundown of how to best clean your glasses. Are probably good, though, honestly. Um, really, I'm referring to there's, there's, there's these things that are within our hearts, within our minds, that can actually impact how we're interpreting or responding in certain situations. And, you know, this main text we're going to use is from 2 Kings 5. It's the story of Naaman. Naaman is the commander of the army of Aram. It's a nation that's about northeast of Israel, uh, kind of in parts of modern-day Syria. And he was suffering from leprosy. Supposedly, uh, you know, it was this non-curable disease at that time. Very scary disease for centuries, even thousands of years. And he's going to travel to Israel to seek a cure. Now, for those that like to read into things, no, leprosy is not code for COVID, as we're going through today. Basically, any situation you can be going through, you can have the wrong lens when you're looking at it. Something, something can get in the way that's going to affect your outlook, affect the way that you're interpreting things and reacting to things. So we're going to go to 2 Kings 5 here and read this story of Naaman. So starting at verse 5. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. No, Naaman told the king, so, so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram, and to, Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. He sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the, Al the Albana, and the far, far better than any rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. 
and as his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Later on, it goes to show that Naaman converted to be a follower of Yahweh, to worship God after this. But I just want to take you out. A look at this story and pull out the various interpretive lenses that people will sometimes have when they're looking at um, different situations and, the rea- and how they can react to them. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is kind of just a couple big ones we're going to go through and what's kind of evident in this story. So first I want to look at the king of Israel and his reaction to the situation, his reaction to the leprosy. So in this passage, he's not given a name, but in other passages we know he's King Jehoram. And his problem was that his vision was blurred by fear. You'll notice how he completely overreacts to the situation. The king of Aram sends a letter so Naaman could show, hey, I'm not here for any funny business. I'm not here to cause any problems. These nations are at war right now, but he's just coming over and saying, hey, I'm just looking for a cure for my leprosy. Here's my king's word and everything. But the king of Israel, when he receives this letter and he sees that there's the commander of, you know, the enemy army showing up at his palace, he starts to freak out and he says in verse 7, I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Completely bypassed all the information and said, no, 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 something's up here, something's up. And he just completely, you know, spiraled downwards in fear. And he got so worked up thinking, this has got to be a trick, this has got to be a trick. You know, some sort of invasion, invasion must be imminent. Or, you know, maybe he's sending me his commander um, with an incurable disease and he's telling me to cure him and obviously I can't and then he's going to get offended and then he's going to invade and, he's, and, you know, his mind's just running wild. So, you know, that he's being set up for failure and he's just freaking out so much so he, he, he tore his kingly robes, which was one of their expressions of freaking out back in the day. And that's a very good analogy of what fear can do to your life. When you're really looking at a situation wholly through the lens of fear, it can just you know, completely blow things out of proportion. It can make your mind spin with panic. Uh, it can make you stressed out and even get you physically ill. And often when you're looking through this lens of fear, when fear is dominating the way you look at situations, you'll end up bypassing all sorts of actually relevant information. You'll bypass logic. And brain science would actually show this. When fear is really like taking control of your brain, uh, your prefrontal cortex, your front part of your brain, your logic center, that will actually get bypassed in your decision making. So you can't actually think straight when you're freaking out. So this corrupting lens of fear, this is a very common topic that's dealt with a lot in the Bible, that fear will not give you, a, you know, what the true reality of the situation. Uh, Proverbs 29.25 says, fear is like a snare. It's like a trap. You know, once you get in it, you get caught up. And of course, the more you struggle within a snare, the worse it gets as well. Uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes 11.4, I have this one written on my whiteboard because this one's kind of for perfectionists here. Uh, it, says, it talks about how the, this paralysis that can come with fear. It says that the farmer that waits for perfect weather will never plant. And they'll never get to harvest by watching every cloud. So if you're a farmer, think, and you're just watching the weather to make sure it has to be absolutely perfect before you ever do anything, you'll never do anything. That's how fear can just paralyze you. It's not reality when you're looking through the lens of fear. So we don't want to be like King Jehoram. We don't want to be stuck in this, in this realm of fear where we're just stuck with our own insanity, going around and around and around and spiraling. 
and that we can't even, you know, look at a situation logically. So we're going to look at another factor, and I think this one's probably um, extremely potent these days and has been for a number of years, and I think it's getting worse and worse. And I'd say many people's vision today's day and age is being blurred by pride. So in this situation, we have to see, in a situation that Naaman walks through, what's neat about his story is that he has to battle with pride continually. So first, he has to take this, this suggestion that he's going to go look, that he should, should go look for this prophet in Israel. He has to take that suggestion from a girl that he had captured from Israel, his slave. So he's being told, you need to go to this, this, this nation that you're at war with, and the, the person that's telling him this is someone that he captured from that nation. So he's listening, basically, to advice from a slave, from a nation that he... Uh, yeah, had won many battles against. Then he has to humble himself further and he has to go to the king and said, hey, I need to go to our enemy nation and ask for help. I need you to write a letter to their king and give me permission to be there. And then he also had to explain, well, I got this idea from my slave. Then king, the king of um, Aram, and his name would be King Ben-Hadad, he has to get pretty humble too. He has to swallow his pride and say, you know what, I'll, I'll write this letter for you, Naaman. You know, even though we're at war with Israel, even though that's kind of our enemy right now, this could be a place you could get help. So his love for Naaman overrode his pride and he humbled himself and said, you know what, I'll write that letter for you, Naaman. I'll allow you to go seek help in this, in this other nation. Then Naaman had to travel a very, very long way, you know, on foot, walking around from one nation to another. And then he gets all the way to Samaria. He meets with the king of Israel. And then he has this terribly awkward encounter where the, you know, the, the king of Israel is like, what are you doing here? Like, we can't cure leprosy. And he freaks out, and it's, you know, just terribly awkward. So there's no curing this incurable disease. Like, what are you talking about? Why do you come this long way? We can't do this for you. And then, of course, you know, this, he has to watch this king spiral out of control and get super offended and needs to go through all that confusion. But then rather than getting insulted, he gets this last-minute message that says, hey, come to the house of Elisha. And so he says, you know what, I'll go there. And you see, as he had to lay his pride down again and again and again, he had to take a lot of hits to his pride. But then you see, he finally explodes. He just can't take it anymore. And it's kind of at an odd time, as you see. So when he's right before he's about to meet Elijah, right before he's about to get his miracle, he finally explodes. He, his pride can't take it anymore. Verse 9 says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Then he went into, you know, aren't the rivers in uh, where I come from better? And, and so he just, he just gets mad and he starts to walk away in rage. He flipped his lid. He was done. Pride could not take it anymore. He encountered his last straw, the straw that broke the camel's back of his pride. You know, he, his expectations did not meet reality. He expected, you know, Elisha, this famous prophet, is going to come out, wave his hand, and say, your prophecy is healed. 
or sorry, not prophecy, your leprosy is healed. But then, he, you know, Elisha doesn't even get out of his house, sends a servant. Again, here's another servant that's trying to tell him what to do. Again, very humbling for a man of high stature like Naaman. Tells him to go dip in the Jordan River, which is quite strange, obviously. You know, he, he just got confused with this, and he just, he, just, he just gave up and started going home. Now, imagine if the story ended here, and it very well could have. It came that close. And how many times does our story end right there? Finally, our pride just snaps, and we say, no more. I can't take it anymore. We won't listen to anybody or anything. And we give up. We walk away. We get mad at God. We get mad at others, and we shut ourselves in. We could be literally a step away from our miracle, but we can give up. You know, we can get really stubborn and cranky and inconsolable, unreasonable and immovable. And it's very similar to when fear takes over our brains. When, when pride is really taking over, you know, your logic can get, get ignored. When you're flaming mad, often you can't you know, think of logic anymore or you're not really seeing things with, in the proper perspective. As the metaphor is you're seeing red. Your lens has been altered in a, in a bad way. But luckily, Naaman one more time is able to deal with his pride. He's able to lay it down one more time because he was able to get some help from his friends. His friends came up to him as he's walking away, and they'd convince him to stay. His officers, so verse 13 says, his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And, it, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. See, too many times when we let our pride color our, you know, our lens the wrong way, when we look at situations the wrong way because of pride, I think God only knows what we miss out on when we won't lay down our pride. That's a scary thing to me of how many things have I missed out of my life because my pride got in the way. I'll only know when I get to heaven. We wouldn't even probably have this story in the Bible if Naaman didn't lay down his pride that one last time. He wouldn't have received his miracle. He would have died a leper. Thirdly, I want to look at when we can actually have moments of clarity, when we can actually see what God wants us to see, when we can look at a situation and react in the right way. And that's when we are focused by faith. To me, the hero of this story is actually this unnamed servant girl. What I think is neat about the Bible is there's all sorts of people that are, we don't even know their name. They might be very, very low in you know, the status of society, but God can move through, the, through them powerfully. And this is yet another example of that. She was captured from her homeland and forced to work as a slave in Naaman's household. But it's obvious that she still held on to her faith. She's still able to love someone that had literally enslaved her literally stole her from her home, from everything that she know, she has known. And here she is still operating in faith and operating in love. That's pretty powerful. As she saw that Naaman was suffering, one day she, she just said to her mistress, I wish the master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Note that extreme boldness. She's not saying, you know, he might heal him or maybe he should try this. He said he will heal him. She speaks very definitively. Her faith is very, very strong. There's no question in her mind that her God is big enough to heal 
Naaman of his leprosy. Even though it's, it's an incurable disease and it's a scary disease for her time, she knows that God is bigger and he is greater. And so she can say with, with this passion that God can heal Naaman of his leprosy. You just need to see the prophet. And her faith is so impactful that it starts to win people over to her side. And that they begin to see things through the lens of faith as well. First, she convinces Naaman's wife. Naaman's wife begins to believe, you know what, he should go to Israel to see this prophet and he'll get healed. She talks to Naaman. Naaman begins to believe. His officers begin to believe. Naaman has to talk to the king. He begins to believe. That faith just began to spread. It began to become contagious. It's a radically unconventional story of let's go to enemy territory to see a prophet, um, you know, of this enemy. And he's going to bring this healing. This God we don't even worship. It's pretty wild. You see that Naaman actually begins to operate in faith because he prepares his gifts in advance. He's ready for his miracle. He brings 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And he travels with that and carries that the whole way with his crew. You know, he's, he's expecting his miracle. He's coming with a sense of expectancy. And there was a moment, of course, when his faith faltered, when he, when he couldn't look at things no longer through that lens of faith where his pride and his unbelief finally rose up. But it was his friends, his soldiers, his officers that in that moment they rose up and they said, Naaman, we're going to take you the rest of the way. Their faith took over and they convinced him to stay. His officers still believed because they still had that focus of faith. So in conclusion this morning, how do we restore our clarity? How do we cleanse our soul so we're not looking at things through the wrong lens, where we don't have, say, fear or pride or really anything else getting in our way? The simple answer is that we need regular deep cleans. We need God to come in and cleanse the lens of our souls, the lenses of our souls, the ways we look at things. Davis, David very famously said this in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need to constantly be at the work of going to God and say, I might not know what's inside me, but you do, and please take out what needs to be taken out. You'll notice, actually, a lot of the time that we can't determine, you know, what's obscuring our view, what's getting in the way, what's really even within our own heart. So we need God's help to go in there. Because, you know, if we're continually acting out of fear, continually acting out of pride, that's our normal. We don't know any different. And so God has to come, up, come in and show us different. Sometimes I find that fear is a little bit easier to pick out than, say, pride. when you're, Because it has quite a lot of physiological effects that can come with it. You know, your heart starts beating and you start sweating. Uh, your mind starts racing. Sometimes you can't often tell when you're operating out of fear. Of course, there's a healthy fear and then there's a fear that's uh, not at all healthy. It gets negative. But... When I find myself struggling with fear and I find myself, my brain's just starting to spiral out of control, I start to quote 2 Timothy 1.7 to myself, defiantly in the face of my fear, until I begin to start feeling better. And that's, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And I'll keep saying that continually until I feel like I have power and I have love and I have a sound mind. And then when it comes to pride, I find that this one's a lot harder to notice might not necessarily affect you the same way that fear does. But it will, you know, it, it will have an effect in basically everything that you do, how you react to the world. 
And honestly, I would say that pride is a far greater problem than this pandemic. And it's been around for a long, long time. And I'd say it's getting worse and worse and worse. Actually, psychologists could probably say, or have said anyways, that the, the levels of narcissism are rising and have been uh, for a few decades now. Lots of pride out there. To me, I think a really good way of putting your pride in its place is reading scripture. Particularly Proverbs, I find quite funny actually in how it deals with pride. So we go into the wisest, we go to the wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon. And uh, Proverbs 28, 26, uh, this is from the amplified version, which likes to amp up the adjectives used. So this, to me, I find this pretty powerful. It's pretty funny here. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts confidently in his own heart is a dull, thick-headed fool. But he who walks in skillful and godly wisdom will be rescued. Man, that hits, that hits. <laughs> Proverbs 26, 12, here's another one. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Proverbs eleven two. pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Here's a really big way to keep your pride in check. Actually allow other people to speak into your life. Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, where there is controversy, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. So in the middle of any type of controversy, anything that's going on, don't try to handle it by yourself. Because pride will be there right in the thick of it. Get some wise counsel. Be willing to accept advice from others. Let others speak into your life and cover your blind spots. And be willing to listen. That's a hard skill. Be willing to listen and accept the wisdom of others. See, had Naaman not been willing to do this, as I've kind of keyed in on before, had he not done that, had he not listened to the wisdom of others, he'd, he would have died a leper. That would have been the end of Naaman. If he wouldn't have listened to his, his slave, basically, he would have died a leper. If he wouldn't have listened to his, his fellow soldiers, his officers, he would have died a leper. He would have missed out on what God had for him. He would have been, you know, close to experiencing what God had for him, but he, missed, he would have missed out. We don't want to be like, we, want, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to miss out on what God has for us because we're unwilling to let anybody speak into our lives. We're unwilling to believe there might be somebody out there that can see a situation from a different lens and say we can. Now on the flip side of the coin, when we see people's faith failing, when we see that they're losing their focus, you know, when things are getting blurry, things are getting in the way, whether it's fear or pride, we need to lovingly rise up and illuminate the situation with, with some faith for them. Sometimes you can't blame people that fear will show up or, you know, pride will get in the way. Hurt gets in the way. Sometimes it's very justified because they've gone through a lot. Think of everything that Naaman had to go through and then he finally, he, had a, he just had a moment of weakness. And as you see the situation of how Naaman really had to, you know, really had to humble himself, this high up commander of the army, go to enemy territory, you know, take the advice of a slave, beg his king for a letter, go to another king for an awkward encounter, go and get his miracle in a very strange way. You can understand how somebody could kind of mess up along the way and give up and have a mistake. So rather than kind of, you know, judge people for their, their faith maybe failing in a moment, 
don't worry about that. Just come alongside and say, maybe it's my time to hold you up. I think of the beautiful story of, um, you know, when the Israelites were in battle in the Old Testament. And, and Moses, uh, kind of how it went is that if he kept his hands in the air, they would win the battle. But his arms would get tired over time. And so he needed help to hold up his arms. And that's what our faith is like sometimes. It gets tired, you know, when we're trying to do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. And there's sometimes we need help. We need other people to come alongside and give us that shot in the arm of faith. That, you know, that extra boost, that, that wind in our sails of faith. We need to help carry people over the finish line. We need to help carry people to get to their miracle, to get to their blessing, to get to their destiny. Just like Naaman soldiers, sometimes they might be 99% of the way there and we need to carry that extra 1%. Sometimes they're at 1% and they just don't even want to start and you just need to get somebody going with faith. That's part of our jobs as Christians, to come alongside and inspire and point people in the right direction and bring a, a clarity to the situation. Because with Jesus comes true truth, because he is the truth. We don't, our, ourselves, we don't want to miss out on what God has for us. We don't want to come, you know, 99% of the way there and then give up last minute. And we don't want that to happen to others as well. We're a family here and we want to fight for each other's destinies. We, we want to fight for each other's miracles. We want to fight for each other's blessings. So when we see each other failing in faith, we need to spur each other on towards, you know, the good works that God has called us to. We need to be like Naaman's officers to say, no, 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 you've come so far and maybe you can't take yourself this next few steps, but I'll be there to help you. We need to allow God to go into our, our souls and clean out whatever needs to be cleaned out. Whether it's fear, whether it's pride, maybe it's shame. It can be anything. But often it's only God that can reveal what's deep and dark within our souls. He needs to remove that ungodliness within us. And honestly, this is a continual process. This, you know, all sorts of dirt gets in our souls and clouds our vision continually. Fogs up our lenses. So make that a regular pattern in your life. Going to God and say, reveal what's within me, God, and show me how I'm not looking at situations correctly. Show me how maybe I'm reacting out of anger to my spouse or my kids or my, uh, the people at work. Or maybe you're reacting out of fear, your fear of the future or um, you know, fear of the, the economy. Uh, all sorts of different situations can come up. Or maybe you're reacting out of shame continually because of what's happening you know, in years past. Uh, maybe you're, you're continually seeing situations through the lens of guilt because of things that you've done in your life. Things that God has removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Sometimes we need to be reminded that what is the devil putting within our way that is clouding our vision? God is very good at doing that, and because he cares about you, he will do that if you just spend time with him and submit yourself to say, send me through a deep clean. Let's go into my soul and let's whip out what needs to be taken out here. And sometimes, you know, he's going to use other people to do that. Now, of course, they need to do that with love and grace because all of us have junk in our souls. All of us have things that are corrupting our vision. All of us see through a glass dimly lit, as Scripture says. But sometimes, you know, what I'm seeing might be a little bit different than you. You know, in, in a particular area, I might have less fog on my lenses than you do, or vice versa. So we need each other. And may God kind of just inspire you to say that, you know what, you have things to add to the, the equation. There are situations that you've come through that other people are just starting. 
And so God has granted you a wisdom and a perspective to be able to speak into their life and say, hold on, it gets better. Or don't go down this road because I did and it's just a mess. Or sometimes you might have an expertise in certain areas. Uh, you know, for us in the, as pastors, we do a lot of biblical interpretation. We can help in, the, in, in those ways. Uh, there's a lot of things that I have zero expertise in. Um, and so I'm not running my mouth about that kind of stuff, or I'm not giving people advice of something I know nothing about. So we need to submit ourselves to God in many different ways. What can I, what can you be used for to help other people? And often what's amazing is God will show you things that you've walked through in your life and he's prepared you for that you didn't even know. You've walked through some valleys and you've become experts in them. And you can turn around and say, I've been there, I've done that. And you can actually, you know, expedite someone's process through one of the deepest, darkest valleys of your life because you've been there and you've done it. You might have the right word for the right time for people that can just illuminate their vision that can just break that lens of shame, break that lens of fear, break that lens of pride. That's what family's all about. Helping us conform to the true image of God. Anything that is messing us up and anything that's making us look at ourselves wrong, anything that's making us look at others wrong, situations wrong, God can come in there and break that and set us free. Because we're supposed to be walking in freedom. We're supposed to be walking in faith and truth and hope and love and a supernatural version of all of that that only God can provide. So I'm just going to end in prayer today. And uh, kind of after I finish, I, uh, I just want you to spend some time, maybe before you go, before you leave, before you go say hi to your friends, just spend some time maybe just uh, in prayer by yourself, just kind of asking God um, in this moment even if he wants to reveal anything within your heart. And again, I know COVID is the big bad wolf that's out there, but it's not the only big bad wolf that's out there. There's all sorts of situations people can be going through. Um, and this criteria basically applies to just life in general. But maybe there's things in your life that you're walking through and God just wants to go in there and illuminate and show you this needs to go. You're looking at this situation wrong. Maybe God wants to bolster your faith today, so that's what I'm going to pray for. But again, when, once I'm done, just maybe spend a few moments just seeking God yourself and let him kind of go in and do um, a bit of a deep clean, a bit of an oil change inside your heart. And uh, just to, who knows, he might reveal something uh, quite deep and then a spectacular change might happen. But let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you're a God that cares about every aspect of our lives. God, we thank you that there is not one square inch of our heart that you not look at and say, I want that. You want every inch of our heart, God. Even the deep, dark corners. God, you also want every aspect of our lives. You want to be involved in it. God, you want to give us a clear picture in every aspect of our life. You want us to walk in truth in every aspect of our life. And we thank you for that, God. So God, we just submit ourselves to you here as a congregation. God, we know that the enemy is the father of lies, and we do not want to believe any lies. We, don't want, we, don't want, we do not want to believe any lies about ourselves. We do not want to have an you know, inflated pride. We don't want to believe the lies of fear. We don't want to believe the lies of shame. We don't want to believe the lies of guilt. And so God, may you just expose these lies today. 
God, may we just be a, a beacon of truth even to this community in all sorts of different ways. I pray, God, that as you illuminate our souls here in this congregation and you begin to take out the junk and take out this, the trash and break all of these false lenses, God, that we would be able to go and do that work in this community. God, I pray that we'd be used in our schools, in our workplace, in our family to break these lenses that can come over and, and filter how we see the world. God, I pray that you would use this church to break the lens of shame over all sorts of people. God, they might be trapped in their shame and what's gone on in, in their life. They might be trapped in their guilt. And I pray, God, that you would give us this, this amazing power of breakthrough to just pierce through that darkness and show them the truth. God, I just think of the lens of fear and how fear just runs rampant throughout society in all sorts of different ways. God, I pray that you just give us this innate ability to go into the, in these places and, and into these hearts, God, where you know, fear is running rampant, where fear is creating all sorts of issues. And I pray, God, that we'd be able to speak faith into that. We'd be able to calm that storm. And that people would be able to have just this new revelation of, of who they are and how they're safe in the Father's hands. God, I pray that you would empower this congregation to even tear down pride. And do so in a loving way. We're not here to make people feel terrible about themselves. We're just trying to give them a clear picture of who they are. And that it's okay to admit that they're wrong. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to ask for help. Because, you know, their identity is not tied to their success. It's not tied to how cool they are, how, uh, you know, rich they are, anything like that. It's, it's tied to who they are in Christ. And so that all these false identities that they might have in their heart, that they're afraid to lay down, they're afraid, you know, to let go of that that we'd be able to come in there and say, hey, that doesn't matter as much as you think it does. When you're loved beyond measure by God, you don't really have to play any pride games. You don't have to, don't have to pump yourself up to make, you, make yourself something that you're not because you know that the value that comes through God is far greater than any value you could ever get in this world. So God, I pray that you're just going to make us this congregation that can bring light into this Lakeland region. God, I pray we're going to break lenses left, right, and center. All these things that are coloring people's vision, so that, you know, and even giving them a wrong perception of who you are. That's probably the biggest one, God, that we, when people have a wrong idea of who you are, and it gets in the way of them coming to church, it gets in the way of them even looking us up on Facebook gets in the way of them ever reading their Bible or even ever considering God. We want to break that lens, God. We want to break that, that stronghold that is in people's hearts, that anti-church sentiment. And God, I just pray that you just give us an anointing in that area to say God is not who you think he is. Church is not what you think it's like. And God, I just pray that you just help us pierce even the hardest hearts the ones even most opposed to your message of truth, your message of life. God, we just want that kind of an anointing that we can, the hardest of the hard, the ones that will say that they would never step foot, they'd never darken the door of a church. God, we want them here. We want to be able to see lives radically transformed, hearts radically set free. That's what we want here in this church, God. And so here as a congregation, here as a family, we just want to willingly submit ourselves to you, God, and say this is what we want to be used for. This is the impact that we want to make in our, our region here.
and God start with us. Break what needs to be broken. Cleanse what needs to be cleansed. Erase what needs to be erased. God, we want to walk in true clarity here as a church in every aspect of society. Whatever monkey wrench is thrown into the mix, God, we want to be able to see the clear picture. We want to have that focus of faith. In your name we pray, amen.